back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it keepin sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for the place for the best sports talk? news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time to do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 20th day of December. We're almost there, people. We are almost there. Just, what, five more days, four more shopping days until um, the big day, until Christmas, until we can stop worrying, panicking, about whether we're going to do right by our loved ones. As I said, it's the thought that matters, not the value of the gift. So please don't go over the top and saying, help. I got my shopping done in three hours on Saturday night. Now, a lot of that is because I only have to shop for four people, five if you include myself, but uh, as I said, no, it is the thought that matters, uh, not the overall price of what you're spending on uh, your loved ones. But your loved ones is something that I think is in all of our thoughts right now. You know, something that, you know, the, not just our loved ones' happiness, but our loved ones' well-being loved one's safety, especially when you uh, consider what we are going through right now, thinking that, oh, this is going to be a holiday back to the way things were a couple of years ago, but along comes this new variant in uh, uh with the COVID virus, uh, what is it called? The Omicron? Om- Omicron? Uh, I- I've been trying to pronounce it all week. You know, I-, I thought I had it pronounced correctly this morning. And, you know, just what do you know? As I'm uh, getting ready to start the podcast, I draw a blank on how um, it's pronounced. But you all know what I'm talking about because there's nowhere you can turn right now that something is not being affected in life. You know, you know I'm sure every one of us has had a friend that has been sick by this. Uh, the, the world of entertainment, you saw Saturday Night Live uh, was kind of uh, different than the normal version of it uh, this past week. They did not have... Uh, uh, the expected guest or musical performer and most of uh, the crew was uh, was fearful in doing the show because of an outbreak. You see Broadway's uh, been uh, shut down uh, through the rest of the season. And this is one of their biggest weeks of the year. 
And of course, as it pertains to us, it's impacting the sports world once again. Um, I mean, through the first through the first fourteen weeks of the NFL season, they didn't have to move games around. They, you know, you were hearing here and there a guy would test positive, and the team would put him on. Uh, the restricted list, the uh, the reserve list for uh, health and safety protocol when it came to COVID-19. But in the last week, we've seen an explosion. We've seen insanity break out in, in the NFL. You know, I, I think the total I saw last week was in the first 14 weeks of the season, there were... 110 uh, total players that tested positive for COVID-19. Last week um, alone, there were 57 players that landed on the reserve COVID list. Hell, between Monday and Tuesday, there was somewhere between no 62 and 65 uh, players alone that landed on uh the reserve COVID list, and it's led to, uh, you know, for the first time this year, games having to be shifted around, games having to be moved around, especially when you saw three teams were impacted the most by this, with the Washington football team having 21 positives, the Browns having 22, and the Rams having 25. Now, the positive, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that it's created some new nights for us when it comes to watching football. Like today, we have a double header when it comes to Monday night football, or sort of. You know, uh, this evening at five o'clock will be Browns Raiders. That was originally slated to take place on Saturday. Tomorrow, you got two games as. Washington will play the Eagles, and uh, uh, Seattle will uh, play the Rams. Both of those games were originally slated to take place uh, yesterday, but because of uh, precaution and because these two teams, quite frankly, did not have enough players ready to suit up um, for these games, they had to move uh, it off of Sunday. And Hell, even the Browns... They're going with their third-string quarterback today, uh, Nick Mullins, because uh, uh, neither Baker Mayfield or uh, Case Keenum are going to be ready to go. And listen, it it sucks that we're back in this situation. We thought we were over this. We thought this Christmas was going to be a celebration of the continued return to life. But, you know, COVID's continuing to show us there's no schedule to it. There's no planning to it. There's, we're, you know, in some ways we're making this up as we go along, and you know, there, there's going to be the people that whine and complain. You know, people that from the beginning I've had a problem with that have made this all too political, and to all of them, you know, go to hell. We're more concerned with people's health, safety, and and making sure that it doesn't lead to those who can be the worst affected going into hospitals or even potentially dying. 
rather than your happiness and, oh, what is an inconvenience to you? So please, let, let, let's think about the, the bigger picture here, people. Hell, it's even, unfortunately, it's, it's affected the, the NBA as well. You know, you, you look at the, as of Saturday, there were 84 players that had entered the health and safety protocols for the NBA this season. 68 of those have been this month. And you look at the last week, as, as of Friday, three, of, three out of a four-day span, they had double digits in players that were being put in health and safety protocols, even leading to you know games getting postponed because teams didn't have enough players, didn't have enough guys to suit up and go out there to field a... Uh, Competitive team field, um, you know, enough players because you have to have eight. And there were teams that were that only had seven. I mean, it felt like every day another Brooklyn net was getting added to the list. Uh, and the beginning of this was, you know, earlier this month, the Chicago Bulls were the first team that was really hit hard. They were that first team like three weeks ago that had eight positives come out in it in a two-day span, and they've started to get their players back. They're, they're um, starting to get back to a little bit of normalcy. But, you know, what's going on right now is anything but normal for the NBA. You, you've seen the last 48 hours, five games have had to be postponed. Three yesterday, one today, and uh, one tomorrow as for the, the Wizards and the, the Nets. And it's it's led to a couple things. Now the NBA and the NBA PA had to you know come to new agreement on rules as far as additional players, where you know a team will be allowed to sign a replacement player for each positive COVID nineteen case that props up on its roster, and any replacement players who are signed, they won't count toward the team's yearly salary and won't count. Uh, to its potential luxury uh, tax. But, you know, I mean, it's almost becoming numbing. It's almost becoming, you know, where you're not, you know, you're not surprised anymore. You, you don't want to, you don't want to cast aspersions on anybody because I think for the most part, these athletes are doing the right things, um, especially the, the, you know the ones that are vaccinated. I mean, we we've seen some cases like in the NFL that you know Antonio Brown just got done with a three-game suspension for uh, pu- putting out a fake vaccination card, and you know how he's avoiding any kind of legal trouble with that beyond me. But that's for people much smarter and much more powerful for me to uh, decide there. But uh, I mean, you you look at at the, uh, these uh, situations. It, as I said, it, you're not surprised by the same more. You you really just all right. Let's adjust, and that that's you know that's one of the biggest keys of of uh, all of this. You now we talk about life being about adjustments. Well, COVID has really put that at the forefront. What I what I find ironic in all of this and what i was planning on coming in to today one of 
being one of my biggest uh, topics to talk about, was, of course, the news last week that kind of kind of pissed me off, kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and that was that the Nets have, because of COVID, because of the minutes that have built up on their roster and the fact that at times they're playing as, four, as many as four rookies, three that no one even heard of before, like last Wednesday, they've decided to take an about-face and are going to allow Kyrie Irving to come back to this team and play in solely road games. And you know, I was coming in prepared to yell, complain, scream about it because uh, you remember a month ago, I was glad that they, you know, put him in his place for w- one time and uh, are not kissing his ass um, because that would have. In, in my mind, dis- disrupted team chemistry if you have a guy that's just parachuting in for every road game, especially when you have a, a team that, despite their struggle, what has seemed like struggles at times um, against uh, good teams this year, they are, as we sit here right now, number one in the Eastern Conference. But the irony in all of this, and who knows what he was doing in his personal life. That's up to, for him to do and none of us to really uh, judge. The, the second that he's uh, um, announced for a return, uh, within 24 hours, it's announced that he's going on uh, the health and safety protocol list because he tested positive for COVID-19. Talk about irony. Talk about I don't I don't want to say karma because I don't even as much of an ass as he is I don't wish bad on, on uh, other people, but it is uh, you know kind of ironic the guy you know who has through all this kind of acted like a, a buffoon kind of acted like a hypocrite. The fact that he says one thing and does another and he he talked about being the voice of the voiceless I. And as I've mentioned plenty of times, we haven't heard from him since he had that impromptu uh, Instagram live um, uh, discussing his decision, discussing his feelings about uh, uh, not taking uh, the vaccination shots uh, uh, and wanting to be the... uh, Defenders, should we say, of those who were losing their jobs because of vaccination status, and you know what? What do you know? He has. Uh, he finally gets uh, a chance to get things the way he wanted them, and he tests positive. But you now, hopefully, he's going to be all right. Hopefully, Kevin Durant's going to be all right. Hopefully, all of these players. You know, you you would think all of them are going to be okay. The thing you worry about is those who have some kind of pre-existing medical condition from their past, or you know, maybe they have a loved one that they've been around since Thanksgiving and they have some kind of pre-existing uh, medical condition that could be adversely affected. Whatever the case, you know, let's try to make the best of all of this and let's hope that it does not negatively impact the remainder of these seasons, especially NFL, too, too severely. Because you would hate, in the case of the NFL, someone's playoff chances or chances at winning a championship to be affected by something 
that is beyond their control on the field of play. All right, let's get to more pleasant things. Let's get to the actual action on the field. And there's plenty to talk about when it comes to that, whether it comes from, you know, the excitement we saw with some of these prime time games over the last couple of days in the in the NFL, uh, history being made in the NBA, a big news week for the New York Mets, and the moment that we all expected to happen in the NFL happened a little bit earlier than we thought. So a lot to get to for the next about forty five minutes, please. Sit back, relax, help put your feet up, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, there's more going on in the NFL than just how it's being negatively affected by COVID-19. I mean, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, games taking place late in the season here that are affecting seeding, that are affecting uh, division races, division titles, and that's what you want. You want a lot of games to matter um, at the end of the year. You don't want to sit, sit through a lot of crud football where there's you know, teams you know, tanking it for a playoff position. Hell, you even got teams that you wouldn't think are still in the mix in the um, in the thick of things, you know, like last last night, you take for example the New Orleans Saints, who outside of you know beating up on the Jets, hadn't won a game since uh, losing G- Jameis Winston, and last night on Sunday Night Football, their defense uh, s- shows up and you know made things uh, difficult for Tom Brady all night long. And what do you know? We sit here right here, right now, with them as the seventh seed in the NFC playoff standings. Now, a lot of that could and probably will change within the next uh, 24 to 36 hours as uh, you know, Washington and the Eagles both sit here at uh, six and seven. Minnesota plays the Bears tonight. They're six and seven. So 
those teams still are going to have a say in things. And if any one of them wins tonight, they push the Saints out of uh, playoff uh, standing. But now, last night was very impressive by the Saints' defense. The fact that you know you're without Sean Payton, you're you're playing with a, a quarterback that, let's face it, is a good NFL player, but not a good quarterback in Taysom Hill. And they just made things very, very difficult for Tom Brady uh, last night. Cam Jordan seemingly was in the backfield all night long, uh, forcing Tom into a lot of uh, um, quick throws. Uh, even forced Tom to have to uh, use some mobility at times. And that uh, led to him fumbling the football in the uh, second half. Just when it looked like the, the Bucks were finally going to get on the scoreboard. And it led Brady to places that he's never been. You know, his first shutout loss since 2006. The first time he lost to a team uh, by uh, double-digit, uh, I mean, to a team that didn't score a touchdown. And it's the first time that he's been swept by a team um, in, in a regular season twice. I mean, these kind of things you won't expect. Now, caveat here is that the fact that the Buccaneers were missing a lot of players. Uh, that You know, they... Lost uh, uh, Godwin, Evans, and uh, uh, Leonard Fournette as the game went on. But even even then, I'm watching this, I'm thinking, at some point, Brady and Gronk are going to figure something out here, trying to squeak past this. But, you know, the Saints defense, you give them a lot of credit. They stood up and were up for the task uh, last night. Now... Now, you, you look at uh, some of the primetime games uh, that went on in the last week. I talked about this le- uh, uh, last Monday, how we had the potential for the game of the year uh, on Thursday Night Football between the Chiefs and the Chargers. And I think in, in almost every way, it lived up to the billing. You had you have what most perceive as the most talented quarterback in the sport in Mahomes. All, all of his weapons available to him. Going up against a guy who's quickly making a case for himself to be a top five quarterback in the sport in in Justin Herbert. And you would have thought that this would have just been a gunslinging contest. These guys throwing the ball all around the yard. But the Chargers, they were able to run the football down uh, the Chiefs' throats for the most part. Um, You know have a little bit of a change in the game plan thanks to the fact that uh, the Chiefs were without Chris Jones. And, you know, if Jones was in there, I think there would have been a different game plan for the Chargers. They um, they would not have been able to go for a buck 90 on the ground. They wouldn't have been consistently running it up the middle against them. But I thought the Chargers were their own worst enemy. And this has been something I've worried about all year when it comes to them because Early in the year, Brandon Staley set a tone with how often he was going for it on fourth down. And you know, early in the year, it was working out. They were, you know, I think they were about 70% on uh, uh, fourth down conversions uh, early in the season. Well, now that's started to come back uh, down to earth in uh, recent weeks. And you, you, you look at... Some of the things that he did, you know, I can almost understand it on the opening drive 
where you have a first and goal and you're trying to uh, you know, set the tone for the, the evening. Even though there's a lot of people out there that are the mindset of let's get the zero off the scoreboard uh, as fast as possible. You know, first and goal um, from the five, you have four cracks at it. You know, that I, I can understand his thinking there. But then the, you know, the next one, right before halftime, you've got to make sure you at least get some points on the scoreboard. Go, go in up by a, a touchdown. Two, with three seconds left to go for it on fourth down rather than um, kick a field goal. And it, it's not just the decision to go for it there. You know, the play he called there, he has Harbert drop back the pass. You're running the football down their throat. If you're going to go for it on fourth down, shove it right up the middle or quarterback sneak it. You, you, I mean, it's it's not like it's fourth and goal from the five or six yard line. It's, it's fourth and goal from the one, maybe even inches. So, and then, you know, the, they get the bad luck early in the fourth quarter of, uh, when it looked like Joshua Kelly was going to dive into the end zone um, to put them up by a touchdown, he fumbles um, as he's going into the end zone and uh, loses possession of the ball. And the problem became for them that their defense ran out of gas um, based off the fact that the Chiefs, you know, essentially went no huddle from there. You, I mean, you look at the fact that Three of their final four drives, they scored touchdowns on. And look at each one of those drives. A minute, three seconds. A minute, 45 seconds. A minute, um, five seconds. I mean, they went up and down the field to, like that against uh, this Chargers defense to now take um, a season split in their series and t- um, take a what looks like commanding two-game lead in the AFC West and put themselves in the number one spot in the AFC. Now, no, I don't think they're completely back to what they once were, but you know they're getting there. They are definitely getting there. Their defense, especially when they get Chris Jones back, has been ferocious for the last month and you know right now as things sit the AFC postseason would run through Kansas City it's fun it's funny to think about two months ago we were actually asking the question are they going to even make the postseason well now they've ran off seven in a row and look like the best team in the AFC and Especially after you know what happened on Saturday night, as the Patriots' winning streak came to an end, uh, losing in Indy in the fashion that they did. No, no, Indy, you know, was able to work their way around what was an awful night for Carson Wentz. This, you know, I'm sure their game plan going in was not let's only have Carson throw the ball twelve times, but you know he was. To say he was mediocre would have been very kind, would have been not telling the, the full story. He was he was missing guys left and right and has to be thanking the gods the fact that he has a all-world running back, a top-five MVP candidate in Jonathan Taylor having what, 
what looks to be a a historic type season to carry the way. That and the fact that his defense made things very difficult for uh, Mac Jones early on, uh, causing Mac to have uh, interceptions on two out of three drives spanning the second into the third quarter. Now, he would start to get things uh, going a little bit because you know, you're down by three touchdowns. You got to throw your way back into it. You're not gonna, you're not going to be able to uh, run the ball and dink and dunk it. You got to get chunk plays. But the death nail for them, of course, was uh, right at the two-minute warning, the 69-yard touchdown run for uh, Jonathan Taylor. Now, now putting the Colts in uh, an interesting spot here because they are at 8-6. and six. You wouldn't uh, expect them to be um, with how inconsistent Wentz has been this year. But now they're just a game behind the Tennessee Titans for the division. The Titans who... You know, I want the Titans are a team that I want to get behind. I want to believe, but they keep just you know kicking themselves between the legs each and every single week with these turnovers. Like, what is this like the the I don't know fourth or fifth time in the last six weeks that they've had four turnovers in a game. Yesterday, they have a 10-point lead at halftime against a Steelers team that seemingly thinks that there's only one half of football. And you look at uh, they average 20 points a game uh, this year, and 13 of them come in the second half of games. And the Titans, 10-point lead, start turning the football over left and right. You get the the fumble by Sutton uh, in the third, and then... You know, back-to-back turnovers by Tannehill, throwing the interception at midfield, and then fumbling on the sack uh, by J.J. Watt. All of those uh, turnovers resulted in field goal drives by the Steelers, you know, to carry the way for what was another less than um, impressive performance by Ben Roethlisberger. But, you know, the Titans only have... uh, so much time to lick their wounds and prepare uh, for the next game. They play the 49ers on Thursday night. The 49ers who, you know, I think we got to start taking them seriously. I think we got to start believing in this team. Uh, that They've won five out of their last six games. Garoppolo's not making a lot of mistakes. There, there's been no signs of Trey Lance uh, whatsoever. And they have the most versatile player in the sport right now, in Debo Samuel, who, you know, you're not sure what he is. Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? All he is is, you know, he's a guy that can play football and, you know, can do so many things to positively impact your team. You want him to come out of the backfield and and run it up the gut? Fine. You want him to line up out wide, line up in the slot? He'll do that as well and give you a great chance at winning. Now, add that to the fact that they they have a pretty good defense that made life difficult for uh, Matt Ryan yesterday, especially uh, one Mr. Nick Bosa. And they are definitely a team that you, know, you have to contend with uh, going down the stretch here. You know, do I think that they're going to go deep in the playoffs? No. But I definitely think that they... You know, I don't know if there's enough time for them to catch the Cardinals when it comes to 
the NFC West, even with the Cardinals struggling against the Lions yesterday, uh, they still have a two-game lead with uh, three games left to go. But the 49ers are a team that definitely needs to uh, be taken seriously, definitely uh, needs to be shown some respect. Uh, the Bills uh, now put themselves also in a good position yesterday with a dominant win over uh, the Panthers. The Panthers who, no, they clearly don't have a quarterback on that team. Uh, I mean, the Cam Newton story was fun. It was cute for a couple minutes there, but I think we've seen, uh, you know, the best of that come and go. Still wasn't, you know, an all-around perfect day for Josh Allen, but they've gotten things you know, straightened out after back-to-back losses, and now now they have a chance to go do what was done to them uh, last or two weeks ago, and that's you know, go up to New England and handle business against the Patriots. They're one game back of the Pats with, th- with three games left to go. The division and is clearly still in their sights and uh, set themselves up uh, for, you know, not having to play a road game in wildcard weekend. A team that's just hoping to make wildcard weekend right now, though, is uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who were without Lamar yesterday, uh, with uh, still dealing with the ankle issue. And they started Tyler Hundley, who, you know, the good thing about uh, playing Hundley is that you don't have to change up the offense um, for him. That, that's always been the key with Baltimore, is making sure that your backup is somebody that, you know, if Lamar goes down, you can put this guy in there, and the offense remains the same. You be a run-first, run-centric uh, type team. And while he's not as electrifying as or as amazing as Lamar Jackson, he'll he'll make the safe, the common uh, plays for you that are are needed to remain competitive and give you a chance to win. Now, yesterday he would he would do something that Lamar's never even done and have two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. And his running was a key in getting them back from a 14-point deficit in the, the fourth quarter. The problem here is, you know, John Harbaugh must be drinking whatever kind of egotistical, uh, egocentric, egomaniacal, uh, crazy stuff that his brother Jim usually uh, drinks. Because I, for the life of me, cannot figure out the over-the-top obsession that he has had in recent weeks for going for two-point conversions late in games to try and just be, ha, look what I can do here. No, a couple weeks ago, I was almost on his side when it came to what they tried against the Steelers because I looked at it and said, all right, most of the complaints are coming from the fact that it didn't work, that T.J. Watt made a great play, forced Lamar to throw the ball earlier than he thought, and uh, Mark Andrews had to turn around uh, uh, quicker 
um, than he was expecting for the football. A play that they've probably run and uh, successfully completed a million times in practice. But yesterday, to me, it's like, wait a minute. You've, you've got all the momentum on your side. You were down by 14 early in the fourth quarter. You've started to uh, uh, put the pressure on the Packers' defense. Why not just kick the extra point? I mean, it's Justin Tucker, for God's sakes. It's, it's not like you're running some scrub out there. It's not like you're in the position that the Panthers were in where they lose their kicker during pregame warm-ups and you're having to have guys go out there and try out for kicking the football. You have one of the legitimately great kickers in the history of this sport and you're not taking advantage of that strength, of that advantage that you have over your opposition. It, it made no sense to me. Plus, you force overtime there. You go there and, you know, say it gets to the position that it's, you know, next team that scores wins. Let's not act like Mason Crosby has been automatic this year. Let's not act like he's been, uh, the, you know, the, the second coming of Adam Vinatieri uh, this year or been what Justin Tucker ha- has been. It's been... You know, cringeworthy at times watching Mason Crosby uh, make some of these late clutch time kicks. And everyone knew on that play that the, you were going to go to Mark Andrews. I mean, that if, if Hundley um, had a little more awareness, maybe he would have just taken off and run uh, with the football himself there. Now, with this loss, you put it in a spot where with uh, the Bengals winning in Denver, they sit there as uh, the uh, top spot in the uh, AFC North. And if the playoffs began today, you'd be sitting at home watching it just like the rest of us. So, John, wake the hell up and stop with these two-point conversions, please, for, for the love of God, especially when the game's on the line. I mean, it's not like you were down by two. Jeez, I I don't know why I'm so aggravated by that, but no, I've always been a big believer in common sense, and that was not common sense. Got to take another break here. Come back and uh, you know turn my attention to uh, a, what was a big week for the Mets and a uh, another historic moment in college football. Continue keeping the sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on 
GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, it should come as no surprise to any of us the decision that the Mets made last week. I think, you know, the writing was on the wall. You saw reports everywhere about what was Max Scherzer's preference, what was Mets owner Steve Cohen's preference, even though he was going to leave it up to general manager Billy Epler. But... As uh, we expected for some time on Saturday afternoon, Steve Cohen tweeted out announcing that Buck Showalter has been hired as the new manager of the New York Mets. And listen, I have been highly critical of Buck Showalter over his managerial career, and I think rightfully so, because it feels like there has been this over-the-top ass-kissing contest from the media, uh, certain uh, members in particular more so than others, toward Buck Showalter, uh, hailing him as a not just good but great manager, uh, talking about him as the most prepared manager in the game, and not willing to bring up any of his faults, not willing to criticize or critique any of the things that he has done over his career, making it almost seem like he's a flawless manager. Now, I've said long before that I don't believe that the Yankees dynasty would have happened in the late 90s if he had stayed. Now, if you want to give him credit for being part in building up the franchise, I can't disagree with you there because they needed a placeholder at the time. They needed someone that wasn't going to just embarrass the organization after what a crap show it was in the late 80s um, through 90 and 91. You know, he got them to a level of respectability before Joe Torre ultimately took over and took them where they needed to be. There were there were things that Torre did that I don't think Buck would have done. Torre was a strong, calming presence and was always capable of standing up to George Steinbrenner. Buck, it always seemed like he was on the seat of his pants and, you know, Part of his firing at the end of 95 was because he couldn't stand up to uh, George and George wanting him, him to change up his coaching staff. Add in the fact that I don't, you know, these are things I we can't answer. We don't know the answers to them, but who knows if Buck would have moved Mariano to the bullpen per- permanently. No, Joe Torre had Willie Randolph on his coaching staff, which turned out to be a big cape because in 96 in spring training, people forget Jeter sucked in spring training that year. There was talks of trading for a veteran shortstop. 
until you know at a meeting at the end of spring training, Willie Randolph stood up pounding on the table saying, we were going to give this kid a chance. Let's stick to it. And who knows if he doesn't do that, either Mo Petta or Posada could have been tr- ended up traded for a, um, a veteran shortstop. And as we know, all of this would not have happened without all of them in the mix there. I mean, Buck has been good at being the guy that's the table setter before the guy that ultimately either wins big or comes close in the case of Ron Washington to taking the team fully to the promised land. But there's no doubt that he's been a, a good man, a very good manager in his career. He has, he has a winning uh, um, track record as far as overall managerial uh, uh, record. He's been a three-time manager of the year. Some of that may be due to uh, the media kissing his ass. But you know, he's going to add something to that Mets team that they have not had. And that's a guy that will not put up with BS. Now, they've gotten rid of some of the guys in the locker room that I think were more about themselves and more about you know, wanting to make this just a party like it was in the late 80s, you know, guys like Noah Syndergaard, uh, personalities like that, but there's still some guys here like uh, Lindor, who knows about the status of Baez, uh, Robinson Cano coming back, guys that there's a, a little too much sauce when it comes to them and at times not enough professionalism. And Buck's going to force professionalism down this group's throat. It's not going to be about stupid gimmicks or stupid nicknames when it comes to them. Now, who knows if it's still got to work its way out on the field. But I can promise you this. uh, This I will give him. It will not be the embarrassment and crap show that it's been in the last several years. Buck will not stand for that. He will not allow these guys to just run amok and have them be as unprofessional as they've been in recent years. Now, what was very surprising is the news in college football that came down last week. And I don't pay attention to recruiting a lot because... Now, what does it really mean in the end? We we can talk about these schools having these stacked classes coming in all we want. It's still got to play its way out on the field. But last week was definitely maybe not a precedent-setting moment for college football, but definitely a a moment to feel good about things. Definitely a moment where you say you look at it and say. Dion's doing big time things there um, at Jackson State as he was able to get the number one recruit in the nation, Travis Hunter, to decommit his original plan to go to Dion's alma mater, Florida State, and choose Jackson State, which, I mean, you realize how big that is to get the top recruit in the country to go from being at one of the top programs in the ACC to commit to an HBCU. Now, we have seen legendary players 
in the NFL come out of HBCUs. Walter Payton went to Jackson State. Jerry Rice, Missouri Valley State. Uh, you know, Steve McNair went to Alcorn State. Art Schell um, went to Maryland State. Michael Strahan, uh, Texas Southern. Uh, Shannon Sharp, Savannah State, just to name uh, a few there. The big-time players. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not like, no, this is the first time ever this is happening. But for Dion to get a top recruit like that to uh, decommit from his alma mater and come to his school, it's showing that this is not just, oh, Dion trying to set himself up for his next job, set himself up to make the jump from one double A into a power five conference school. No, this is showing me that Dion plans to be there for the long term. And, you know, he's bringing in a kid that is a two-way player, a lot like like himself. You know, he, he was one of the top corners in the nation, but also just put up ridiculous video game-like numbers as a wide receiver. I mean, we're, we've seen some of the highlights of this kid in the last couple of days, including um, the catch he made in uh, uh, Collins Hill Prep's uh, uh, game in the uh, state finals. But you, you look at it, nine games, 76 uh, completions, o- over 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. The kid is a very impressive athlete. And you know, hopefully, this, hopefully this leads to some more of Jackson State's games being on television. Hopefully, you know, I don't think it's going to set a president precedent, excuse me, where you start seeing all the top 10 uh, recruits in the nation start going to HBCUs, but hopefully it starts, you know, making some kids aware, bringing up uh, uh, that, oh, you don't have to always go to Alabama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, uh, any of the big time programs to make it big. Especially now with the with the new rules uh, as far as kids uh, and sponsors, I mean it's you know a win win no matter where you go as long as you can play. And I'm getting tired of all of these coaches who are coming out whining, complaining about this. The only reason you know the likes of Dabo Sweeney are now bringing up saying that oh it's bad for recruiting is because you were not able to land the player. If this kid, if Travis Hunter had went to your school, we would have never heard one peep out of your mouth. So please shut up and go away. Someone who I don't ever want to see go away is Steph Curry. Steph Curry, who it finally happened. It was Great to see it last Tuesday night, becoming the NBA's all-time leader in career three-pointers. We knew it was going to happen some point soon, but for it to happen in what is still referred to as the mecca of basketball for some reason at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks was very sweet to see. A, because it happened in our local market. B, because it continued to shove down Knicks fans' throats that this guy was drafted one pick before they were able to select him, ha, and see the fact that he got to do it again in front of two legends 
um, that set the groundwork in front of him in Reggie Miller and Ray Al. But Steph has taken what they've done to a whole nother level because, you know, Ray Allen, he set the record in 1,300 games. Steph did this in less than 800. I mean, you, you think about Steph Curry and the impact that he's going to have on a generation of basketball fans because back in the late 80s into the mid-90s, there was the marketing campaign of, you know, be like Mike. Uh, you know, remember the uh, the shoe commercials, the the, uh, the Wheaties box uh, commercials that came out with the the song saying, "Oh, I want to be like Mike." Well, now you have a generation of kids that want to be like Steph. He's he's more influential, I think, on the upcoming generation that e- than even LeBron James, because as great as LeBron is, and LeBron will go down when it's all said and done, as historically greater than Steph Curry, unless Steph you know, either matches him or wins one more title than he does. You, know, you look at LeBron, and that's a physical anomaly. There's not a lot of people on the face of this earth walking around looking like LeBron James that can just jump out of the building like he can. People look at Steph Curry, kids look at Steph Curry and they say, I could go, I could do that. They go outside, uh, go to their park, go to the basketball hoop, you know, in their driveway, shoot a million threes for hours. And, you know, that, that influences kids to want to reach the NBA, want to be the next Steph Curry, want to be that, that guy, you know, that 20 years from now, maybe we're talking about them being on a historic pace as far as shooting the three-pointers. Now, Steph is, what, 30, 32 years old? And you would think as long as the ankle issues that he had early in his career don't prop up again, he's got at least another six, seven years of playing in front of him. So he's going to easily past the 3000 uh mark at some point and i got to wonder if any this is you know we talk about all records are made to be broken i got to wonder is this a record that is going to be able to just stand the test of time where no one ever reaches it because it's not like he's retiring tomorrow people he's still going and going at an incredibly high level and now now that this record is behind him he could take a deep breath, just go out there and play basketball and do it at a time where the Warriors are a half game back of the Suns for the number one spot in the West. And we're talking about what the first week of January, his splash brother teammate, Clay Thompson, is on the way back. The Warriors are set to get even better. And that's a scary proposition for it, not just the Western Conference, but the rest of the NBA. A Western Conference that you thought that some people I thought was going to be dominated by the Lakers, but they're dealing with their own issues right now. I mean, you look at it, Anthony Davis is now going to miss a month with a sprained MCL. And, you know, I'm not going to get on him too much because that was just flukish. You know, in the past, you wondered if Anthony Davis was in the best of shape. Not, not to make him out to be this overweight guy like Zion Williamson is. 
but you wondered if he really trained as hard as he should. Friday night, a defender just fell into his leg and he hyperextended his knee. That was flukus at best. But now you're looking at a situation where for the next month, LeBron, Westbrook, and Carmelo are going to have to carry the way for the Lakers, especially at the time they're without Anthony Davis with injury. And they've got six players in COVID protocol, including uh, Dwight Howard, uh, uh, THT, and uh, Avery Bradley. So, you know, the Lakers, they sit here, they're 16 and 15, seventh in the West, and you really can't get a good read on them. The one thing that I think you can tell is that they have too much age on this team, and not all of the pieces truly fit together because they should not be losing teams like the Kings. They should not be going and losing the teams like the Thunder. We should not be sitting here on this, the 20th day of December, wondering, are they even going to make the playoffs or are they going to be in that play-in scenario just like they were last year? All right, going to take one last break, come back, and finish things up for this week in Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. A few more minutes here, but let's uh, finish things up for this week in Keeping Sports with M3. Now, we knew this moment was coming. We knew that this was going to happen. We just didn't expect it to happen so soon. And that was last Friday, or last Thursday, excuse me, when in the middle of the night, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, Shad Khan, would fire head coach Urban Meyer. Now, and let's face it, if you didn't see this one coming, I don't know what to tell you, because you look at all of the events that had transpired there Shad Khan was pretty much the only person up until last Wednesday that did not have a problem with Urban Meyer. You want to talk about the players, coaching staff, uh, uh, people that worked around the team, 
everybody in that building seemingly hated Urban Meyer's guts. Hell, even Trevor Lawrence had uh, turned on Meyer because of the fact that he was annoyed the fact that they're not playing running back James Robinson, which I don't understand why you want to be. He was your best option at, um, out of the backfield. But, I mean, you look at the timeline here. Last January, he gets hired as the head coach of the Jaguars when there were clearly more deserving um, NFL-caliber um, coaching options available, such as Eric Bieniemy and Jim Caldwell. Then on February 12th, the embarrassment would begin, where, uh, remember, the assistant on his coaching staff would resign because of bullying and racist allegations that he had against them when working at, I believe it was Iowa in college when he was the uh, uh, strength and conditioning coach there. Then three months passed, you know, you didn't hear much from the Jaguars until Urban thought that it would be a good idea to sign Tim Tebow uh, to play tight end. And what do you know, that lasted all of about two weeks into August, one embarrassing preseason game uh, of uh, uh, bloopers of him screwing up against third and fourth stringers before they cut cord. Then he made the big no-no, the big boo-boo on August 31st when he said vaccination statuses were considered in roster cuts, something that is not legal to do in the NFL and that the Players Association uh, were up in arms about. Then we advance another month to where the beginning of the end uh, occurred for Urban Meyer when after a Thursday night football uh, game against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, rather than fly back with uh, the team, he would go to his bar in Ohio and get uh, what we all view as a lap dance by a, a girl who was young enough to be his daughter. And then this month, uh, help the last... 10 days came out embarrassing report after embarrassing report. Will it be him questioning the credibility of all of his assistant coaches and calling them losers? Or last Wednesday, when uh, his former kicker, uh, Josh Lambeau, came out and said that Meyer had kicked him uh, during a practice, I mean, kicking a player. Can you imagine if it wasn't a kicker, if it wasn't so, if it was someone that was locked in on a guaranteed contract that he did that to and how they would have reacted? I mean that's just that's over the line. That's that's ridiculous. And you know, Shad Khan had previously said that he wasn't going to just jump the gun and react to this. But once uh, that report came out, he had no choice but to fire Urban Meyer. And, you know, now hopefully the Jaguars will hire a real head coach, not a celebrity head coach. You know, someone that has NFL experience. I mean, when are we going to start to realize that Jimmy Johnson was the exception, not the rule, as far as head coaches that have success 
in the, the college head coaches, excuse me, that have success in the NFL. And it didn't, if it didn't work out for Nick Saban, it wasn't going to work out for anybody else. And Urban Meyer is no exception. So now, you know, after some time passes, he can go back to whatever cushy television job he had at either ESPN or Fox, you know, one, one of those two. And, you know, just, you know, try to self-heal himself and then maybe he'll get another crack at the gun as a college football head coach. Now, his firing didn't do anything to inspire the Jaguars as they would uh, get beat up by the Texans yesterday. But, hey, maybe it's what they wanted because thanks to their loss and the Lions winning against the Cardinals, they are now in the number one draft position heading into uh, the, the 2022 NFL draft. Though, who knows, before all is said and done, one of our local teams could be sitting in that spot because the Jaguars come to MetLife to play the Jets next week. I'm not even sure if I'm going to go to that game or, or not because of you know some personal reasons or some reasons because the fact that this game could be a total eyesore. This is one of those games coming up that I talk about all the time that could set the NFL back 10 to 15 years when you have the Jets and the Jaguars wasting everybody's time at 1 p.m. this coming Sunday, the day after Christmas, when I could be sitting home playing my brand new PlayStation 5. But because I'm a sucker, because I, I am too loyal to this team, I may end up going. I mean... No, yesterday, the Jets get off to a good start. They're up 10-0 after one quarter, up 17-10 uh, to 10 at halftime, and seemingly gave up after that. They had no offense in the second half, had a total of 54 yards uh, in the uh, second half, which, as I was talking to my friend Tom here about that, you know, you trip over yourself in this league getting 54 yards in, in you know, just a drive. They couldn't... They got 54 yards only in a, in a half. The only scoring they had was the pick six by Bryce Hall in the fourth quarter. Other than that, their offense was non-existent. I mean, Zach Wilson, yesterday was the first time I got annoyed at this kid all year long. Because it was the first time he looked truly healthy since he came back from injury. He you know, got off, had a good first half of this game. But he's got to play a, a full 60 minutes uh, of football here. And I know there were a lot of drop passes along the way. But you're going up against a Miami Dolphins team where Tua Tangovola is trying to get picked off left and right. And Duke Johnson is running like his hair is on fire because he was pissed off that he was sitting at home rather than being on an NFL roster somewhere. I mean, the, this Jets team, seven... The seventh time in 14 games they have given up 30 points. They are they have a defensive-minded head coach, and they have the worst defense in the in the sport. And then to hear the kid, you know, Wilson after the game come out and say, "Oh, it's not a concern of mine. I'm not worried about that." When asked that, oh, how the other three quarterbacks, you know, White, Johnson, and Flacco have played better with this offense than he has. I mean. 
it, it's just it's mind-boggling. The, the only thing that saves them from being an even more of a crap show is the fact that they are in the same building as the New York Giants. Although you wouldn't have realized that yesterday, considering MetLife Stadium was, you know, 75 to 80% cowboy fans um, loading up the building. I, I know because my buddy Jeff was live streaming it on Facebook showing how... Uh, it was basically a Cowboys home game. And, you know, once again, what is the point of starting Mike Glennon? What what do you gain out of starting Mike Glennon? He turned the football over four times yesterday. Now, I know he got unlucky and there was the tip. He gets uh, picked off by um, Demarcus Lawrence. But then he fumbles right before halftime, preventing them from scoring. Uh, and then he, just when you think that, Oh, maybe they're going to get back in it in the fourth quarter. They're down 21 to 6. Dallas is not doing really anything that impressive uh, offensively. Uh, they've been winning it on defense the last couple of weeks. They get a, uh, a fumble by Dak, giving them the football uh, deep in Cowboys territory. And on the first play, he throws a, a pick in the end zone to Trevon Diggs. Uh, Diggs' 10th interception of the season. What was gained out of Glennon playing? You know, they eventually, after that turnover, finally put Jake Fromm in. But you should have been playing Fromm from the beginning because even if you get your ass kicked, at least you see something from this kid. The, with, you know, Daniel Jones out, it should be, and the, the fact that now you're eliminated from postseason contention, it should be about learning about the future. Even though, let's face it, who's going to be here in the in the future? Now, Gettleman, in all likelihood, is going to retire uh, after the season. And Joe Judge, he can cliche all he wants. He could talk about how he saw so many good things on film out there and really appreciates the guy's effort. Now, the Maras, now, they've got to take a look at themselves in, in the mirror here because they keep getting sold a false bill of goods by these used car salesmen when it comes to head coaches. And I don't care if it's the third time in a row where you'd be firing a guy after two years. This guy's got to go. He's awful. He's terrible. He has, he's in over his head. He has no idea what the hell he's doing. Somewhere along the line, Steve Tisch and the Tisch family have got to step in and say, what am I paying for here? I know, the John, you control most of the day-to-day operations, but I've still got a, a, a play in this, a pretty big, sizable play in this as well. And you're just screwing the thing up. Maybe take a step back and let me have a choice for a change. And stop with this, oh, let's hire someone because they have giant roots, whether it be with the general manager job or the head coaching job, because clearly the last three times you've done that, it has not worked out well for you in the end. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, December 20th, 2021. Everyone have a great night. Have a safe, happy holiday season. Everyone, please be healthy. Stay safe with your loved ones uh, this week for Christmas and all of the holiday festivities. And hopefully I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I...
have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.